our theme for the month of December continues to be mystery, which is a special thing in this season of celebrations. This morning, we're going to take a pause, I hope, from all of the busyness and all of the to-do lists, which I know you all have in your pockets or engraved on your brains. Take a pause from all of this to reflect on the story of Christmas as it is told in the Gospel according to Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The flaming chalice was first used by the Unitarian Service Committee as a symbol of life-saving refuge for people fleeing persecution in Europe. As we light this chalice, we invoke the love that called people to put their lives at risk to save others. May we be vessels of life-saving welcome. So the story I'm about to share <clears throat> is a more modern-day version of hospitality in the UU spirit. It was written by Reverend Erica A. Hewitt. It is a story about a friend of hers, Reverend Dr. Beth Johnson. So when I mention my friend Beth in this story, I'm not actually referring to our friend Beth. But as you'll see, there are lots of parallels, and it could very well be our friend Beth. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> when my friend Beth answered her door one day, she found a pair of earnest Mormon missionaries, young men wishing to chat about their religion. Beth being Beth, she invited her visitors in, listened to what they had to say, and in response, shared her good news her beliefs about justice and inclusion, of being responsible for the most vulnerable among us, of countering oppression with love. The point wasn't to change their minds, and the missionaries must have realized that they weren't going to change hers. Best intention was to create a moment of connection beyond or in spite of opposing beliefs. At the end of their visit, one of the Mormons asked, shall we pray together before we leave? Yes, said Beth, I'll go first. And so she said a prayer, and then the missionaries said a prayer, and they parted ways. Days went by, the weather grew oppressively hot. Again, one afternoon, Beth heard the doorbell. On her doorstep were the same missionaries. They were just wilting in the harsh sun. Can we have some water, one of them asked. Hello? replied Beth. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Of course, come in. The young men drank their water, thanked her, and left. Beth never saw them again. 
But those missionaries have left my mind, have left, have been left upon my mind. Sorry about that. Because their story forces me to examine my own heart and the way its doors sometimes stay stubbornly closed. If you or I knew that a stranger was suffering from thirst outside our door, wouldn't we readily bring them water? But in order to offer that hospitality, we first have to identify ourselves, sometimes in inconvenient and uncomfortable ways, as helpers, as willing to offer kindness or connection to someone we might disagree with. Of all the doors they'd knocked on in all the neighborhoods in Best Town, a pair of devoted Mormons sought help from Beth, not just because she had embodied the religion of kindness, but also because she risked opening her door to them the first time they visited. What a beautiful story. Well, I'm going to share with you as a my reading today, a poem that I wrote actually just a few weeks ago. And uh, it's kind of a preview. You all get a preview. <laughs> because uh, I'm honored to say that it will be published next year in a Skinner House collection of uh, holiday readings by Unitarian Universalist religious professionals of color. So you all are in on the ground floor. <laughs> It's entitled Noche Buena, which is, means literally the good night, but it is the Spanish term for Christmas Eve. We'll be home for Noche Buena, the good night, the night of goodness. Because somewhere in the world tonight, goodness and hope will come to life once more. In the birth of a holy child in perfect time for Christmas Day. And on this night of goodness foretold, anticipated, and relived, our hearts can open all the way, and there will be no limits to our joy. Noche Buena is good indeed. Fragrant with food and family, neighbors, and all who come in friendship to our doors. Surprise! Parranda! Asalto, truya. Come in, come in, eat and drink your fill. Sing the songs of abundant welcome and dance to the ever-pulsing rhythms of gentle hospitality. Together, once more, let us bring in the dawn of hope. Tonight, we will forget the cold, we will forget the dark, the loneliness, the separation from those we love. Tonight is Noche Buena, and goodness is on its way. <laughs> Let's hear it for previews, right? <laughs> well, they used to call it on Car Talk on NPR, the Shameless Commerce Division. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my dear friends, you know, sometimes I, I have to confess, it's... Um, it's hard for me to remember that goodness is on its way and that goodness will, will come back and that goodness has actually never left us. It's hard for me and I imagine it's hard for some of you, maybe all of you sometimes to bring yourselves back to that place of reminder. There's 
all the stuff and the noise around us. They're the people we love who are suffering. They're the people we love we don't know are suffering, but they are. There are the things that just touch our hearts in ways, and, and it's hard for us to recover. So I will say to you this morning that in the last several days, what is breaking my heart is, is the death of a seven-year-old child in the custody of, uh, of our Border Patrol. Jacqueline Gal Ruiz, with her father, had traveled from the, a village in northern Guatemala, in a largely indigenous area. And, you know, the stories, it's never clear unless we're there exactly what happened or what history will end up saying about what happened and who was to blame or who wasn't to blame. But regardless, this child died. She did not receive the medical attention that might have saved her life. And I'm sure that there will be investigations and there are differing stories and there will be autopsies and there will be all of that. But at the end of the day, this is a story. This is a moment that is breaking my heart and making it hard or harder for me to come back to knowing about goodness. To tell you the truth, as I've been praying and reflecting on this, I, I pray for everyone involved. I pray for her father, Neri Gilberto Cal Ruiz, who must be going through the pangs of hell. I pray for her grieving mother and her siblings. Oh, no. Oh, I broke it. <laughs> Not for the first time. Who are in Guatemala and uh, her body will be returned there. I, I pray for the agents who tried to revive her and who have to deal with what happened to this child because I cannot imagine anyone on this earth wanting to be okay with that regardless of what orders are or policies are. There is plenty of of suffering to go along. So I say to you that I need, I need our stories of hope. I need my memories of hope and laughter. Somebody brought up laughter. Our, oh, you, Joanne. Our, our stories of joy, our reminders, because even though we know how the Christmas story ends, no spoiler alerts there, we know, but still, we relive this place of joy. So the, the poem that I wrote, uh, it came out of remembering some flights that my family took when I was growing up from Newark Airport. Some of you may remember Eastern Airlines. You don't have to raise your hand, because you'll be old if you do. But <laughs> So uh, while... My family certainly, we did not come from poverty. My grandparents did, but we did not. But still, the midnight flight from Newark Airport to San Juan, Puerto Rico was, shall we say, super cheap. <laughs> so we would take the midnight flight, which of course was a big deal for my brother and I, because this meant we get 
got to essentially stay up all night. And what would happen is that the minute the doors closed, the party quite literally would begin. (laughs) So we used to make jokes about the fact that most of us traveled and we didn't have luggage. We had shopping bags, or as you say in Spanish, shopping bugs. And people would pull pull out bottles of rum and food, and there would be singing, and everybody would be in the aisles. And it was not like we all knew each other. It was just we were all happy, right? Because we were going home for, for Christmas and for the holiday. Now, in my recollection, the flight attendants simply disappeared for the duration. <laughs> Nowadays, no self-respecting flight crew would allow that to happen. There would be silence on the plane, and I don't know what would happen to the rest of us. But in those days, things were a little bit more relaxed. And they would reappear at the end of the trip to open the doors and wish us all a Merry Christmas. <coughs> There would be card games in the back, which our parents would try to keep us away from, but that's another story. And of course, as soon as we would get close to the island, we would all try to um, get close to the windows because I don't know if you've ever been to Puerto Rico during the holidays, but everything is lit up. They're just the decorations. I swear you can see them from the space station. Talk about light in the darkness, right? It was such an amazing and beautiful time. And then for those of us coming from the winter to get off the plane, <laughs> like, oh, let's rip off the sweaters. Of course, my family would be like, oh, it's only 65 degrees. I need my coat. But anyway. <laughs> Stories of hope and light and reminders. And I... I'll just say, I use the word parranda, so the custom in Puerto Rico for Christmas Eve, which is the bigger holiday, not Christmas, is for, uh, for folks to go door to door in the neighborhoods. Knock, knock. We're here for the party, food and drink, and then everyone moves on to the next house. And um, it's a lovely time. And then at midnight, you go to the midnight, to the midnight mass. I think about what Christmas will be like this year uh, after Hurricane Maria. I'm sure it'll be still a celebration of hope. When you and I celebrate Christmas here on, on the mainland, much of what we do and much of what we remember comes from the Gospel of Luke. As you probably know, there are four stories of the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. But the one that has the most details about the birth of Jesus is the Gospel of Luke. That's the Gospel that tells of the fact that there was no room at the inn. For this kind of sketchy family, this couple, this pregnant woman whose child may have been the child of God or a child of an unknown father, something that would have brought deep shame in the ancient world and in many cases brings shame now. A family that didn't quite have the social status to be accepted in, you know, more lofty, Uh, guest accommodations. 
This tiny child, lying in a manger, carrying already the hopes and the dreams of an entire people. So I'm going to do my nerdy thing and just give you a little bit of background, which you may know, and if you do, forgive me. But the Gospel of Luke was written not very long after a horrifically disastrous time in the, in the life of the people of Palestine. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Hanukkah, right? The story of Hanukkah and, a, and the victorious rebellion of the Jewish people against the, the Syrians and Antiochus the insane or whatever name we want to call him. Well, the Jewish rebellion that happened roughly anywhere from 35 to 40 years after the death of the historical Jesus was against the Roman Empire, and it was not successful. It was brutally and ruthlessly uh, repressed. The historian Josephus, who was Jewish but uh, allied with the Romans, writes that as many as one million people were killed. The people who first heard the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke were people wounded by trauma. They were people, I mean, if there were ever a people in the world who needed a story of hope, who needed to be reminded that goodness is here and that goodness would come again, it was the people of Palestine. In this story, not only were they reminded that hope and the divine can be found in a newborn baby, can be found in a family that might be beyond the margins of acceptable society, can be found in a manger, in a humble place. It can be found in any moment and can be connected to in any moment. And even though, even though the people hearing this story like us, knew what was going to happen. They knew the story of Jesus in Nazareth. And they knew what would come. But still, still, they could celebrate the hope. They could celebrate the love. They could celebrate across the boundaries that you talked about in the story you read, Cindy. The boundaries that sometimes keep us afraid or keep us separate or keep us grieving. My friend and colleague, uh, the Reverend Kent Mathias, who serves the Unitarian Society of Germantown in Philadelphia, got back a couple of weeks ago from the border uh, with Mexico. He was in Tijuana, uh, actually on behalf of Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. Years ago, he worked in Chiapas. He's, he's from Chicago. He's not a native Spanish speaker, but he speaks, uh, he speaks Spanish. So he was there sort of looking to see what, what need there was and what opportunities there might be for Unitarian Universalists and others. And 
he is helping me to plan my own service in that area where, where I will go at the end of, uh, my plan is to go at the end of January. And he said to me that, that wherever he went in his time in Tijuana, the first thing people would ask him was, are you a lawyer? <laughs> and he said, no, 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 yo soy pastor, I'm a pastor. He said, invariably, what people asked him was not, can you help us with money, or can you help us with food, or can you help us with, with clothing? He said, every single person said, can we pray together? Will you pray with us? Because as much as we need food, and as much as we need shelter, and as much as we need tangible help. We'll get to that in a minute. We need the help of the Spirit. We need someone or someones to be with us and say, goodness is here. The divine is always here, the sacred. But however you wish to call it or understand it, it's always here. And he did tell me, it is. Policy issues aside and politics aside, my beloved, he said it is a humanitarian crisis. And, and, so many are responding. So another friend of mine who's a minister in Delaware County is a lawyer and a minister. Talk about a killer combo. <laughs> He's just got back last night, so he was helping people. He was helping people with the, the legalities. He said in one day alone, he performed nine marriages. Um, talk about hope in a time of darkness. Uh, some of you may have met my friend Reverend Katie when she was here a couple of months ago. Her church, our sister congregation, Cedar Lane Unitarian Universalist, uh, accepted and welcomed a refugee mom who was asked to self-deport and leave her two young children behind, and instead she took refuge at, at Cedar Lane and is hoping that she'll be able to do, you know, work through her case with, with their help. So many are reaching out their hands and their hearts for, uh, for help. This is hope. All of you here who donate to the homeless concerns, this is help. There is so much to remember, so much that, that we can do. Let me make some concrete suggestions. It was suggested to me that you can't just, Reverend Maria, you can't just depress us to death. You have to give us ideas about what to do. So, have you seen this little box? How many of you still need one? <laughs> There's some here. These are boxes to collect for the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee. And I, I'm sorry about all the shameless commerce, but. In fact, this year's Guest at Your Table program will go directly to support immigrant rights efforts and, and help, for, help for immigrants on the border. There are brochures here as well as boxes that you'd like to take, and we'll be collecting them early in the new year. 
I believe that, I, am I putting you on the spot about the clothing? Beth has volunteered to uh, help us put together a clothing drive. One of the things that is really needed is men's clothing for communities at the, at the border. Most of the migrants are, are, are men. If you have it in your hearts to help contribute to that, uh, please, please uh, see Beth. Will you, if you can, perhaps pray or send energy, energy of kindness and compassion for particularly for the children who are the most vulnerable in this situation? Will you hold them in your, in your hearts and let them know that they are loved and cared for regardless of their immigration status? And lastly, will you be open to learning more? Again, irrespective of what, what the politics are, just to learning more and becoming informed and perhaps attending some of our meetings of the immigration team just to see, okay, what, what can we or should we as a congregation, uh, how should we be involved? It breaks my heart that there is no room at the end. Lastly, let me say this to you. I will not ask any of you in this congregation, I will not ask the congregation to fund in any way my own trip and service. This is, I'm taking responsibility for, for this myself. And as I think I've said to you, I, I plan to be away for a week, maybe, maybe a few days more than that at the end of January. But if you can find it in your hearts to, to help in other ways, I encourage you to, to do that. There's one last prayer I wanted to share. Sometimes, dear ones, as the Gospel of Luke reminds us, we need to remember that the divine, the sacred, the God, if this is who we choose to believe, can be found in unexpected places can be found on an Eastern Airlines flight from Newark Airport to San Juan, can be found beneath the cardboard boxes sheltering someone who has no place to live, can be found in the emergency room seeking care for emotional and mental health difficulties, can be found right here among us as we reach out our hands to one another in celebration of the season. Feliz Navidad, mi familia. Amen. <laughs>